Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is return guest Kevin Cornelio. Kevin is an introvert, an empath, and most of all, a highly sensitive person. Kevin has always strived to help others, but also worked very hard to help himself overcome his own shyness, depression, and social anxiety, which have plagued him throughout his life. While developing mindsets, habits, and coping strategies to overcome these challenges, Kevin obtained a degree in psychology and then professional life coaching certifications from IPEC, one of the world's premier coach training schools. However, Kevin also unintentionally developed an extreme lifestyle that included work addiction, as well as eating and exercise disorders, which culminated in Kevin suffering from severe burnout, a loss of one third of his body weight, and ultimately a near death experience. Thankfully, this radical, intense experience didn't end his life, but rather transformed his life, calling him to embrace self-love and compassion and inspiring him to share with others the profound insights that he has taken away from his experience. Kevin has followed this calling by becoming the author of Woken, a series of literary fiction novels that tell the story of the highly sensitive life. Additionally, I'll be donating to and raising awareness for the charity or organization of each guest's choice. This episode, Kevin has selected the organization Compassion International. Please join me in donating. Uh, the link is in the show notes. And in this conversation, Kevin and I mostly unpack his book, the first of the series of Woken. The book is called Awoken. Awoken was a massive undertaking. Kevin channeled the consciousness of seven different characters. They are wildly different on paper, but what I most appreciate about what Kevin has created in this book is that while all the characters are very different on the surface, they all have a shared humanity. Kevin also weaves in wonderful surprises and insights throughout the book. We really dive deep on each of the seven characters' stories. I think it's going to be an amazing cliffhanger for you to go ahead and buy the book. The book is also in the show notes, and I highly encourage you to check out his work. We also talk about the gifts and the power of being a highly sensitive person. In the first conversation that Kevin and I had together on my podcast, we talked about introversion, sensitivity, and shyness. And we really zoom in even more on the power of sensitivity. And we also talk about compassion and that what really allows for us to heal individually and collectively is compassion for ourselves and for others. And Kevin weaves all of these themes into the book. This was such a rich conversation and it's really an honor to be supporting a, a close friend of mine in his art and his storytelling. So with all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy what Kevin has for us today. All right, Kevin, welcome back to Mike's Search for Meaning. 
Thank you, Mike. I'm I'm glad to be back. And I do want to say, I think, I believe that I am the first person to come back a second separate time. And if I'm wrong on that, don't even tell me because I just want to experience and bask in the honor of that fact, whether I imagined it or whether it's real. Either way, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want me to tell the truth on this one? Because <laughs> you're actually not the first return guest. I did have someone who just a couple of episodes ago, I released my uh, my second or his second appearance on the show. But you're you're my favorite. So I'll let you have that. How's that sound? Wow, that's even better. I'll take that. <laughs> I hope you include that in the in the recording that you release. Yeah, and I didn't listen to the other one yet. So in my world, I'm still the first. There you go. That's all, that's all that really matters. So that'll, that'll segue into our conversation. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm in, in my own world here. Uh-huh. Well, I, I think before we dive in, it could help to set a container for what are, what are we exploring today? Why are we having this second iteration of uh, a Mike Search for Meaning conversation? And I would say... On one hand, it's a little bit of a continuation of our first conversation and talking, especially around the lens of the highly sensitive person, because you and I both identify as highly sensitive people. And the second reason, which actually dovetails from highly sensitive people, is I want to talk about your book, which I have read and would love to help spread the word on and would love for listeners, if you're tuning in, for you to end up purchasing the book and reading, especially if you identify as a highly sensitive person as well. So given that container and the frame that we will be using, the scaffolding, if you will, for today's conversation, I would love to kick it to you, Kevin, to maybe just give a brief background about the book or wherever you feel called to start. Yeah, thank you. And I I definitely agree with you on those points. I think this feels in a lot of ways, like a natural continuation from that first conversation that we had, which touched on the, the idea of, of highly sensitive person. But I, I love being able to explore that much more deeply here. And that really strongly ties into to uh, the book and the story that I've written and the characters in the story and my, my journey with writing it as well. So I think um, those will flow nicely together. Uh, off the top, I'll just give a general intro to um, the book. So the title of the, the first novel, this is going to be a series, but the first novel is called Awoken, which I published under the pen name K.T. Cornelio, for anyone who wants to find it out there on Amazon. And the this, this story, Awoken, if I could be so bold, I would say is the greatest story ever written about the highly sensitive person. And I'll expand on that to say, really what I feel is so impactful about it in that sense is that Awoken's unparalleled combination of highly sensitive characters, immersive storytelling, and the rich diversity of perspectives it introduces is what serves to awaken readers to insights and connections that go far beyond the story and really reach into their own personal lives and enhance their own experiences of life as readers. Well, actually, what where I'm finding myself curious right now, Kevin, is... In case people didn't listen to our first conversation, I, I think connecting with you, the author, in in as much as I would love to hear you describe a little bit more about what how you identify as a highly sensitive person and and what went into how how did that contribute to the way that you started to write the book? 
Yeah, absolutely. So as we kind of touched on in our last, last conversation, identifying as a highly sensitive person is something that I experienced innately through throughout my life, but didn't really have an awareness of, you know, the term or the, the idea that's conceptualized and what it is to be a highly sensitive person until more recently, last few years even. And the more I've explored this term, the highly sensitive person and what it really means and what it describes, the more I've identified with it to a high level and the more I found its influence in places in my life. So finding this term and this concept really coincided with where I was on my journey and actually going into the arena of writing and diving into creating art. And what I found was that there was so much kind of beautiful overlap between these two things, the the writing journey I was on and the story I was trying to tell and the experience of being a highly sensitive person that I realized somewhere along the line, this is really largely what this story is about. And the characters, which I'll, you know, we'll talk more about certainly in this conversation, the characters in this story really represent many aspects of what it is to be a highly sensitive person, even those characters who are not technically people. So yeah, there's a lot of this that I found within myself and that goes into this story and these characters who come you know, largely from myself and my experiences of being a highly sensitive person, as well as interacting with others who share a lot of these characteristics. And if you could just briefly describe what a highly sensitive person is again, if I remember correctly, I, I liked your description more from the first conversation. And my description was something along the lines of someone who experiences stimuli a little bit more deeply than the average person. Someone who is, yeah, your senses are more likely to be awakened in, let's say, a social situation or by lighting or kind of just more open to feeling the externals of life and more affected by that. So I, I would love to hear your definition of highly sensitive person. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're really capturing the essence of it in that general description. I actually have um, kind of go-to traits that I like to talk about specifically in this conversation of um, the story that we're going to talk about as well, because I think they correlate so strongly uh, with the story of Woken. First and foremost, a pretty basic one that I think almost every highly sensitive person can relate to is that we are almost always labeled in our lives as shy, introverted, and or empathetic. Second, I'll mention that tying into a lot of what you just mentioned, we tend to be much more easily affected by input from our environment, whether that is sensory input like bright lights, loud noises, um, strong smells, but also input that comes from other people and from their energies. So we tend to be much more in, in tune with and affected by what other people think and feel and their actions. And that kind of leads into the third one, third factor I'll mention, which is our nervous systems as highly sensitive people tend to be more frequently overwhelmed and frazzled compared to people who are less sensitive, especially when enduring tension or stress, uh, which go hand in hand a lot for us. And to me, that, that actually reminds me of something that you and I talked about in our last conversation, which was a specific example of being put on the spot to be observed to uh, completing a task. You know, we mentioned things like public speaking, which is a huge example, you know, being in, in uh, playing sports and being on the free throw line and having all these eyes on you. You know, I do much worse in that situation than I would if I'm just shooting by myself, largely because of this aspect of being a highly sensitive person. So that's, I kind of see those as more the three like lowlights maybe of these key aspects I'm going to talk about. And then to go into three what I would say are more opening up to like the highlights of being a highly sensitive person and kind of paint 
some of the picture of what feels more positive to experience. One is that highly sensitive people, we're much more aware of subtleties around us in our environment, in other people, in being in tune with the context and subtext of a situation. So this manifests as, you know, you might find yourself much better at reading people or reading situations or just noticing things that people around you are oblivious to. And that kind of leads into why we tend to be very deeply moved by and connected to the arts, whether it's music, whether it's literature, of course, like we're here to talk about, other forms of artwork, sculptures, painting, etc. And really just connecting with, the way I see it, connecting with the beauty and the emotional energy that goes into creating these art forms is something that really touches us on a deep level because of our sensitivity and our openness to that. And that leads into the final trait I'll mention here, which again, I think is true of almost every, if not every, highly sensitive person. Uh, we tend to have more of a rich, complex inner life that we experience. And it often provides an escape or, and or a counterbalance for that often overwhelming external experience of life. Yeah. Well, thanks for introducing all of those. And some of those are... We've already explored a little bit in, in our first conversation, but I was particularly especially drawn in, in this round to the nerve, the bit around the nervous system and how deeply that rang true for me. In a very meta way, my, my nervous system responded to hearing about how the sensitive person's nervous system really is more likely to, uh, to flare up or to have a strong reaction to different things and yeah, I just, I just always remember what, especially when I was younger, that felt like a power that I didn't know how to wield. It, that life just felt overwhelming to me. And what I have found, I actually wanted to push back a little bit around it being a low light because I think if you look at the shadow of the nervous system being really responsive, it, it looks something like if I eat really terrible food and I'm surrounded by toxic relationships, then my nervous system is going to really start to push back on me and say, this is not working. And on the flip side, with a really responsive nervous system, if I'm in the right environment and I'm giving myself the right food and I'm, I'm nourishing myself in all the ways that really matter to me, I think the highly sensitive person is more likely to thrive. We're almost like a plant that needs a lot of attention. And if the plant isn't getting the right attention, it's going to die. But if the plant is watered and nurtured and gets all of its needs met, it really, it grows and it, it thrives. And I think that might, that's probably true of all humans to some extent, but the highly sensitive person, it, it really, it has a huge impact on us. I, I'll speak for myself. Certainly it has a huge impact on me to have all of my environment set up in a, in a particular way. So I think those are really great characteristics to, to name, to bring into the conversation. And I would love to hear how that pertains to your book. Maybe in whatever way you see fit, you can start to dive in. But is there a particular character that you started to, to channel most easily? And yeah, I'll, I'll let you take it from here, actually. Yeah, thanks. I, I do want to mention just first and foremost, because I think it's really significant that and poignant that you keyed in on that one particular trait of the nervous system and, and how, you know, we tend to get overwhelmed, frazzled, etc. but also how much it can be flipped over to the positive side. And I think that's a really poignant description 
because that is kind of um, what I think of as like the key, one of the really key core aspects of, of being a highly sensitive person. It has a lot to do with how our nervous system responds and, and, and really interprets information. Like that's what our nervous system does for us in general as people, you know, and then when you're highly sensitive and your nervous system tends to be doing a lot of that or really responsive to things. Yeah, it tends to feel like, as I put it, a low light. And I think it's something that tends to feel like it's limiting and or detrimental or holding us back to the, those of us who identify as being a highly sensitive person or, you know, feel a lot of the aspects that are unwanted for a lot of our lives. But when you flip that switch and you find the superpower within that, it really blossoms into, you know, I, I would say a lot of like what your purpose is in life and what you end up doing with this experience and this type of person that you are and making the most of it comes from really flipping that around and, and kind of uh, what you've represented in this moment of, of changing it, the, the uh, interpretation and the view of it from being a low light to really being a highlight or even a superpower. So yeah, that was, that was really poignant for me. And I think really key thing for anybody who identifies as a highly sensitive person to really lean into whether they've done it um, or not, whether they've identified as a highly sensitive person before now or not, I think the more you explore that, how your you know nerves, your nervous system, and just how you experience life can work for you and can open up these things to you uh, is huge. So where that ties into the story is, I mean, first and foremost, uh, if you want to talk meta, this, this is how I came to writing in the first place, I think is is exploring and then trying to embrace these aspects of myself that I hadn't really before. And I felt more and more drawn to certain things as I explored this, you know, talking about the arts. First and foremost, I was drawn to diving into works of art and really letting them make me feel things, you know, and letting them inform um, what I care about and how I see the world and how I interpret the world. And a lot of that fed into the story on a basic level, but also where few few of the characters in this story are really drawn to and, and connected with the arts. And that manifests as you know, one character who's deeply involved in, in dance and another character who is kind of rekindling this love of music and this love of uh, being an artist. And I think it's something that many highly sensitive people can relate to in different ways. So that's just one example of how these uh, traits really tie in. To kind of go through one or two of the others that, that come to mind, I think the ones I describe more as kind of the lowlights are the, the aspects of us that more so happen to us the way I see it, like these labels that are applied to us as shy, as introvert, as empathetic, these, the input that we take in and we don't really feel like we have a choice in it because, you know, the bright lights just happen to us. The noises or the attention or the stress just happens to us. This largely ties into how readers will experience this story. As I kind of mentioned before, this like immersive st storytelling that I uh, utilize to, to convey the story is really an experience of kind of living in that like inner life that we talked about of the highly sensitive characters. You know, uh, this story is a work of literary fiction, which just means that it's character driven work. It's more about the characters and their experiences uh, rather than the, the plot points and like big exciting action necessarily going on around them. Because as a highly sensitive person, our inner world can be just as significant, if not more so than our external world. And I really wanted to cultivate a story that celebrated that and that, really conveyed the the realness and the, how, how big of an effect there is internally, uh, even when there doesn't seem to be a lot going on around you. So that's really come to life in these characters and in the story, who these characters, mostly if not all, do represent being shy, being introverted, being empathetic, and finding ways to, to highlight those things rather than 
cast them as blue lights, as well as, you know, dealing with the stress or the overwhelm of having uh, a nervous system that's so responsive or having so much input that is difficult to deal with. And a large part of the story deals with these characters not only living their day-to-day lives, which it definitely does, but also overcoming their each of their unique set of challenges, confronting fears that they have, healing from past traumas in their lives, and finding ways to forge new relationships, which really help to bring them out of themselves and, and into who they'll become as highly sensitive characters, but also just as, as characters and, and individuals in the world who are trying to find their way and cultivate happy, successful, thriving existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot in there, Kevin. And where I'm actually finding myself most curious, most drawn to in this moment is I've had the good fortune of reading the book. All the characters, while maybe sharing similar underlying feelings, thoughts, beliefs about themselves, that they're all drastically different in some ways. I'd be curious, is there one character that you most identify with and that was easiest to write for you? And if so, what is it about that character that you most identify with? Yeah, that's definitely something I've, I've thought about a little bit as I have kind of gone back through the book myself and the story that, that came out. Because I, I really wrote this in sort of a stream of consciousness kind of way initially. Not even kind of. I literally sat down and just kind of, I would say put pen to paper, but it was really put fingers to keyboard. And one day just kind of, let out whatever was there and, and started to weave it into a story with the details of characters, names and dates and experiences and all these things. But as I was going through that experience, a lot of it was I found parts of myself just coming out and, and kind of blowing up into a character, different aspects of myself, different aspects of this, you know, experiences of being highly sensitive. And, and so I observed these different characters who came out and there's a little bit of me in all of them, I'd say some more and more so than others. But I would say I recognize a lot of kind of different versions of myself and even different points in my life. There's a character, Denny, who we meet first and foremost. And I I think there's a good reason that that was the character who came out first when I did this. I think that represents a lot of like my inner child and and, um, aspects of myself as a younger person. He's just turned seven years old and he's really taking in the world with like an excitement and enthusiasm Despite his limitations and his challenges that you learn about throughout the story, he has just such a an openness and an enthusiastic, rich desire to live life to the fullest. And I think that's something that I um, really hit with me on a core level and that I felt was kind of a source of inspiration and could be for other people too. One area and one character in one way that I, I connect strongly to. I'll keep poking around a little bit, but I think what, what's coming up for me as you describe Denny and as I get in touch with my inner child and with children in general is that Denny, without giving away too much of the story, Denny in a lot of ways is a teacher for his elders. So a lot, a lot of times they learn from Denny's joyous, maybe not carefree, but at, at times carefree attitude and his ability to really speak what is. I, I remember that's what stuck out to me most about Denny's character is that if something felt off in the wherever the room he was in, he was able to say you know, some the energy's off here. And I think a lot of us as we come of age and are adults and lose touch with our inner child, we learn a lot from the way that children are always exploring, they're always curious, they're always learning, 
and they're not really scared to ask for what they want or what they need. And as adults, it's it's funny. We start to develop different personas, different ways that we avoid doing that. And so Denny, to me, was a great reminder of how children can teach adults so many things, which is actually, I, I believe, explicitly pointed out in the book several times. Without making this about Michael, I, I did want to say, if I if I were to answer this question for myself, which character do I identify most with? I think it might be Denny, but Destiny was the easiest for me to connect with. And I'll give a high-level explanation of why, and then I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about Destiny. Destiny, the, the meaning that I make of Destiny is that they hide a little bit behind their intellectualism. Really, They're really smart, and they use their brain to not confront what's really happening in their life in, in a lot of ways. And for me, in my life, a lot of times I have leaned on the I'm analytical, I'm rational, I do have a complex inner life, and I like being in my head. Being in my head is fun. And at times, that can cause me to withdraw, to not really be in relationship with enough people or even in enough relationship with myself because I'm doing too much dancing in my head and not enough authentic uh, connecting. So I think I really identified with destiny in that I, a lot of times, can hide from what's happening in my life by being in my brain too much. And I'm curious if it seems like it's resonating with you, but what, what is it about destiny that you most connect with? Yeah, I think uh, I, I share a lot of the, the views that you just mentioned, and I love that you, you bring that up and that connection that you have to that character. Because if I were to say, you know, I said in one, one hand, Denny represents kind of that youthful inner child that I connect with, I would say maybe the, the more adult version of a character that I connect with I would, would be Destiny. And I think you hit the nail on the head really with the experience and kind of the, the aura of Destiny being so much of like a safeguard. Destiny lives a lot in their intellectualism. Mm-hmm. And even as I say that word, I feel like that's just like such a representation of like what that character is all about, which is just trying to figure out things and feeling and thinking in a very complex way. And I think there's a tendency, at least from my percep- perception and a lot, a lot of people's, I think that, you know, the, these people who can use really fancy words and speak in very complex ways and talk about very complex subjects, they just have it all figured out and mm-hmm. you know, are smarter, are more in tune with what's going on. And often I feel like it almost is the opposite where the more we try to figure things out, I mean, more the, the more we lean into that analytical part of ourselves too much, it can get to be something that hinders us from really experiencing some of the, the finer points in life and understanding maybe, you know, tying in here, IQ versus EQ. You know, we, we even talk about like intelligence as specifically IQ, obviously, and, and things that relate to being a complex thinker, which destiny is more than anyone else in the story. But at the same time, there's so much that de- a character like destiny learns from people like Denny and others who can get you out of your head and get you out of analysis and just help you to experience things with your heart. And, you know, in my opinion, that's what tells us the most about life and how to live it. And that's something that I think Denny, maybe most of all, or certainly one of the the characters most of all in this story, really lives and embodies almost all the time. And I think in my experience of, of writing this story and of 
connecting with these different characters and what they represent, Denny to me has provides so much rich insight into how to live life and what life is all about, and maybe as much or more than any other character in this story. And I think it's kind of funny and, and so counterintuitive. Um, the same way I I feel like you know children in real life have so much to share and have so much wisdom to impart, as you kind of touched on, that we we just shrug off or don't even notice or don't even realize because we're so caught up in our own perspectives and this idea that we have to teach them when I think it's just as much the opposite, if not more so a lot of times. And if we just stop and listen and pay attention to what they're giving us, they're really teaching us a lot of what we need to know and, and probably have forgotten since we were that child when we kind of learned a lot of things that took the place of, of true pure insight and knowledge I'll say uh, about life. Yeah. It does circle back to what you were saying at, at various points in today's conversation about the arts, how it gets us a lot of times in my experience, a really good poem or movie or show or anything artistic podcasts included. It gets us out of our thinking brain, at least a really effective one, and, and more connected to the essence of life and what, what really matters and into that heart energy and even the spirit and soul and spiritual energy as well. And yeah, it's actually, I, I didn't think of the book as much that way, but I'm starting to, it's starting to become clear to me that part of this immersive experience of the book was to help us get more connected to the different essentials of life and to help us maybe reflect on how do we really want to be living our life? What am I seeing in myself through these different characters that I can then integrate into my life? And I would love to hear from you after writing the book and maybe reading back through it. Do you have any new insights about how you want to carry yourself in, in your life? Yeah, I would say it's a great question and definitely something that I hope readers can explore for themselves. But even as the person who wrote it, yeah, for sure. I would say that a lot of what what I wrote and what came out in this story in many ways was surprising and was new to a certain extent to me. You know, obviously I I wrote this story, but I feel like a lot of it is channeled from whether you want to think of it as, you know, thought and, and inspiration that transcends, you know, the individual and comes comes from this collective mastermind, so to speak, or just this like deep consciousness that is something that I'm not aware of on a day-to-day basis or maybe kind of written deeply into my experiences of life, but um, I had to dig up to kind of get there. Writing this story really challenged me to bring a lot of that out and to draw in experiences and observations and insights that were kind of, a lot of, a lot of them were buried inside or just um, not quite pieced together. And so I see this largely uh, this story as, as kind of a puzzle. Um, you know, you have these seven different point of view characters, which is uh, expansive in a way, but um, is very much for a purpose because they each have different puzzles and different viewpoints that make up the whole uh, perspective of life and the whole perspective of the story, which in my opinion can't exist without any of them. And so, yeah, I learned a lot from exploring these different perspectives and um, these different characters who, like I said, represent me to some extent, but also represent people and relationships and experiences that have deeply affected me in my life, observations and understandings that I've gained from others and specifically from others who are seemingly very different to myself as we kind of 
you mentioned a little bit before, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, yeah. a wide range of, of types of characters in terms of diversity of age, race, gender, levels of ability, sexuality, even different species. These point of view characters are not, are not all human even. So there's definitely, like you said before, a lot of differences in the details among them. But that is something that is meant to really enhance all of their experiences of life as they learn from each other through these differences. And that's something that I've experienced in my life is some of the, the greatest experiences I've had of learning about myself, about the world, and just really being able to enhance my experience of life came through interacting with others who are very different in many ways for myself. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to keep pushing on this a little bit about the characters who are maybe, I've been focusing so far on the characters that you most identified with. And now I would love to, from the lens of actually, the more work that I have done on myself and the more understanding I have of humanity, the more I realize we are all pretty much, with a few exceptions, we're very similar expressions of the same thing. We have different personalities. We have different ways of being. We might be outgoing. We might be shy. We might be adventurous. We might be more of a homebody. We might be a mixture of all of it. But I think at our core, we aren't all that different, meaning we all want to belong. We all want to be loved. We all have the same exact baseline needs. And so from that lens, which of the characters did you find were most different from you? But also, I would love to hear, this is, I know it's a mouthful of a question, but I would love to hear what did you realize about yourself is actually not that different from them as you wrote them? Yeah, that's that's been a really interesting uh, uh, experience is, is exploring that. And I would say that the first character that comes to mind as the most different from me is Josiah. I think, probably not coincidentally, Josiah is the last character that's introduced in this in this story. And someone who is very enigmatic and I think polarizing and, and challenging probably for, I expect, a lot of readers, um, as well as myself, even to write and to, to connect with. Um, and Josiah is a character who comes largely from some of my external experiences of uh, connecting with people who are, you know, in many ways dissimilar for myself. Um, and it's, you know, like all these characters, kind of an amalgamation of different people in my life, including myself. But um, there's, you know, one or two people in particular who influence each character the most. And Josiah is influenced a lot by you know, friends I have who has, have had similar experiences or similar kind of circumstances in a way to Josiah, who is a young man who's just coming back from serving overseas in the military, um, experience I have not had, but um, have been intimately connected to people who have. And so that's a character I, the way I see it is that character came from a lot of my um, empathetic experience and my kind of vicarious experience that I think is enabled a lot by being a highly sensitive person and being so in tune with and receptive to other people's thoughts and feelings and experiences and kind of internalizing those in a way. And I think the experience of creating this character of Josiah and writing about Josiah has been cathartic in many ways for me to open up and explore and, and learn from, as you point out, but also to just kind of unpack the emotions um, as much as anything else that go with what I've, I've taken in from people who have experienced really difficult things like Josiah has or, or experienced difficulty in connecting with others, which I have, but also um, explore it in different ways 
where Josiah is really, um, as relates to the first uh, chapter and, and the title of the chapter, he's a man on, a, on an island in so many ways. He feels so disconnected from the world around him and so different, so other, and so far from being able to connect with others. And that's something that he finds his way to in the story, very difficult and challenging ways. But to find a way to connect, I think, is is really largely what the essence of his story is about. And so I think that represented kind of an experience that came from outside of myself, but also an experience that I tapped into within myself that I maybe I've really tried to shy away from or to get away from um, in my life. And so it was really... uh, an interesting experience to write that character. Yeah. I felt similarly to, uh, I had a feeling that you were going to say Josiah as the character that you felt most different than, and it's the same for me. I didn't immediately identify with Josiah, but there is a part of the book that he's in an airport and he's kind of observing the, the way that everyone's marching through the airport like ants seemingly aimlessly and and not really consciously just kind of drifting through their life and one of the things the qualities that i certainly identify with in josiah as you named that it's he has trouble connecting with people fundamentally it seems like that's a, that's something that he he doesn't know where he stands where he belongs and in that airport scene i what i see in myself that i saw in josiah was one of the ways or one of the strategies that it's not necessarily a great one, but it is a strategy nonetheless that he developed was to judge everyone going through the airport. And there was a a righteousness about, oh my God, I can't believe that all these people are mindlessly going through their life. And that has been a strategy that I have noticed in myself and that that has really helped me reflect on, huh? When I do that, what's really going on there? there I'm creating this distance I'm, and, and I'm othering. I Sometimes I feel othered, but then I'm now othering this entire mass of people without knowing anything about them. And it's a complete projection that I'm making up about all of them. And who knows if they're really mindlessly doing anything. So uh, in a lot of ways, I really identify with, I think a lot of other highly sensitive people will be able to tune into this too, that one insidious form of judgment that we might have is to then go, yeah, I do, you know, I reflect on myself. I care about the type of person I am. I live with intentionality. All these other schmucks, they're not really doing that. And I I really saw that in Josiah. And it's actually to see it in a character's story that isn't me. It's it's eye-opening and it's actually a little bit endearing. Like you can, I can see the the pain that's behind that. And it actually helped to forge more self-compassion and compassion for other people. So I'm curious from here, I guess, A, you can answer how did that land for you? Because it seemed like I, I struck up a lot. And B, is there, if, if nothing, then I'm happy to move in any direction you want with regards to different characters of the story, because there's there's so much more we haven't explored yet. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're on podcast, so people can't see I'm, I'm sitting over here like smiling and nodding along as you as you talk in this way about it, because I'm very happy and, and uh, really fulfilled in a way that this is the experience that you had while reading about this character, because that's largely what this, this story is um, 
wrote written for and the intention behind it is you know to open ourselves up to what feels like other and different and in a lot of ways um, that has to do with fear you know we're we're kind of we're scared of the unknown as people right basic fundamental like that's what fear is is largely about and someone who is very different from us represents that you know we we develop these ideas of stereotypes and these judgments and these interpretations about the world largely based on just coping and trying to survive on a certain level. And that's what Josiah is doing when he is in that scene that you mentioned, he's, he's overwhelmed. He's in way over his head dealing with that feeling of other and of isolation and of the emotion that's stirring up inside him and, and kind of taking hold of him and he's losing control. And so what he's trying to do is to regain that sense of control in the best way he knows how, which is to, you know, take hold of himself and take hold of, um, how he sees what's going on. And, you know, these stories that we tell ourselves that are really just narratives that are meant to get us through and to help us to, to feel okay when we, we don't feel that way. We're starting to feel like, you know, overwhelmed by what we don't understand or what we don't know how to connect with or deal with. And that's really represented in this character. So I love the, I just love the, the way you experienced that and opened yourself up to it because it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And I think that's why, Josiah is such a challenging, polarizing character to connect with. I think it takes opening yourself up to the uncomfortable and also exploring within yourself what makes you uncomfortable. Because at the end of the day, you really described it well. All these characters are so similar, but it's hard to see that and it's hard to experience that. The same way in life, I think it's so difficult to get past these external factors that um, kind of throw up warning signs to us or, or make us feel like stepping back from each other. And to get beyond that to the essence and the core of who we are, where there's so much similarity and so much connection to be had. Yeah. There's someone else that I interviewed by the name of Sam Lamott. And one of his podcasts, he has a quote. I think it fits in really nicely into what we're describing right now. He says, I want to build a world where a flat earther and a cosmologist could somehow share an emotional cup of tea. and." Putting, putting aside whatever I might think about someone who's a flat earther, what, what I think is at the essence of that statement is that no matter how, how diametrically opposed we are ideologically with someone, I think if we get down to a baseline humanity level, we realize we're, we're really not that different. And I see a lot of that in, in Josiah's character, someone who ostensibly lives a very different life. I have never served in the military never will. Uh, I've never gone through the, the types of traumatic experiences that that entails, but I can certainly relate to his the core expression of him and, and who he is at his core. Uh, and so I, I think that this story does a really good job of inviting us into that, into no matter how different you think you are than this other person, we're really, we're all after the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because what one of the things that popped up for me as you were describing that is I love the quote that you brought in there. And I think it's it's definitely uh, very pertinent. And it's funny because the example that you give just flagged for me that as I refer to it, kind of the bullshit response referring to uh, the Matrix Reloaded and uh, another piece of work. We don't need to go into this moment, but that that trigger of like, hmm, hmm, I don't know about that. So it's funny when, when you mentioned the, the idea of being a flat earther, right? Um, something that's inherently 
uh, there's a judgment that you have about that. There's a judgment that I have about that because that doesn't represent me, right? And how I see the world. And seems if I could be so bold, I would say you probably agree. It sounds kind of preposterous to you. Mm-hmm. Just to, to play with that for a second, because I think it ties a lot into, um, you know, the story and, and largely um, beyond the story, what um, enhancing your perspective is about. It's it's really like an act in, in practicing the art of humility. And the way I see that is um, taking taking everything you think you know about life with a grain of salt. You know, the same way you would take something that someone's telling you, if you don't have absolute faith and certainty in what they're saying, you take it with a grain of salt. Um, I've learned more and more to do that with myself in my life and to kind of question and step back from these things that I think that I know. Because realistically, I've only ever lived with my own perspective. So everything that I have experienced in life and everything that I think I know about life is tainted by my own subjectivity. So even taking something that seems as preposterous as the idea of a flat earth, how do I really know that that's not true? I, I think I know based on my experience of learning about, uh, you know, scientifically how the world is, my experience of walking on the earth or seeing a globe or, you know, these, these kind of inherent experiences in my, and, and also my logic and reason and these, these dimensions that tell us what we, what we believe and think about the world. But I don't know beyond a, beyond what anybody else knows, really. We all, we all have our own subjective experiences of life and we collect those to tell me something. But the thing I think I'm most certain about in life, and maybe that's close to the top, really at the end of the day, I view as a belief, not a certain, certain uh, piece of knowledge that is 100% beyond reproach. Because at one point in the history of the world, flat earth was that thing that was beyond reproach. It was just fact. And right now it's not. And so... To me, this is, is largely a conversation, a story that I've written about evolving ideas and experiences and interpretations that create and cultivate the existence and, and what we call reality that we all share. And it's so important and so crucial to me to make these points and to take a step back and to really open up to perspectives outside your own, because that is how we learn individually and collectively. That is how we expand our, our base of knowledge and our consciousness and at the end of the day, expand our potential as human beings and more than human beings as a organism of, of life. So there have been, this is not where you're going to expect it to go, but this is where my <laughs> mind is at right now. There have been little elements of the Tao Te Ching sprinkled into this conversation. And I know that it's a work that has influenced you. And if my memory serves me correctly, it also was, you were, you were reading it during a lot of the portion of the time that you were writing Awoken, the book. And I'd be curious to hear if my intuition right now is telling me that the Tao Te Ching did play a factor in changing your worldview as you wrote the book and as you channeled these different characters. Is my intuition correct or am I, am I barking up the wrong tree? No, you're absolutely correct. And I don't just say that to, to pump up your ego, but you've been really hitting the nail on the head with a lot of this. So specifically, uh, one of the characters we haven't talked about yet is Desiree, who is smack dab in the center of this story and who lives a really, probably the most, the, the character who's most shrouded in kind of mystery and, and weirdness and, and um, this intrigue of like, wait, what is going on with this character and what is this about? Not to go too much into the depths of that, just to, to share some, uh, to save some uh, surprises and, and interesting reveals for readers, because uh, I think that's one of the, the biggest um, 
kind of pleasant experiences of this book is, is having those aha moments. Um, to talk a little bit about that character and, and those chapters specifically, there's kind of an effort to manifest some of these philosophies that relate very strongly to Eastern philosophy and to the Tao Te Ching, as you mentioned. Um, I'm pretty sure one or two of the chapters of Desiree even have a lead-in quote from the Tao Te Ching or a very similar text. So uh, you're definitely you know on point there. And there's a lot of, I mean, to get back to one of the other characters briefly, there's uh, Destiny is a philosophy professor. So there's a lot of philosophy at the heart of this story as well. And yeah, some of these ideas that come from a text like the Tao Te Ching, which is a work that I've I read during, you know, my writing of this and it's definitely influenced me in different ways. It's just like simple wisdom, you know, and it's, it's these basic statements and tenets that open our minds to just so many possibilities of how to consider and interpret the world and our lives that we may not have considered or at least considered to that level before. So there's a lot of that represented in especially certain characters and certain storylines in this book as well. Do you have a certain passage that comes, I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here, but is there a certain passage that resonates most with you from the Tao Te Ching? Just to give the listener a, an example of what it is. I Maybe I'll buy you some time here as you pull something up. I remember a lot of the passages say something that are seemingly opposites, but hold both to be true at the same time. Like, to be the happy ruler must be okay with being the sad ruler, something like that. I mean, I'm totally watching it. So to, just to give the reader, uh, rather the listener, and hopefully eventually the reader, a, a case of the essence of the Tao Te Ching, what's a passage that resonates a lot with you? Yeah, definitely uh, putting me on the spot, but that's okay. I, I relish the challenge. I too have um, something I'm, I'm going to pull up right now. Yeah, I'll mention as I'm going into this um, quote specifically, there is within the chapters and within within the story, there's a lot of discussion, um, or I should say um, kind of monologues or speeches, insights that are shared here and there, kind of sprinkled throughout, that tie into this concept of Wu Wei, which is not specifically named as such in the, the Tao Te Ching, but really follows along the same lines of, of thought, which is the simple... Simply stated, but very uh, complex idea of Wu Wei meaning effortless action. And it's this concept of, as it's kind of described in the story, being in the zone, right? Or just being so in tune with living life and connecting with the essence of how life is lived, you feel like you're not even doing anything. And it's when you accomplish your most in life. Um, so really that that concept and that experience hit very close to home with a certain aspect of what I was exploring within the story. And when you kind of just open yourself up to where life is, is leading you and guiding you, when you experience Wu Wei, you are being at one with not only yourself, but the collective self, you know, that ties us all together. You are serving your truest, uh, most beautiful purpose in life, so to say. And it's a really uh, amazing experience. And, and we've all felt it in different ways. You just might not have known or thought of it in this particular way. But when you feel like life is just, you're just hitting on all cylinders, you know, and life is just happening for you and you are happening for it. And it's just, you know, this, this utter experience of alignment. Um, it's a really cool thing. And it was a really unique thing and interesting thing to try to write about because it's so beyond explanation. But, uh, you know, we try our best to encapsulate with words what it's about. Well, the, the image that comes up for me 
whenever thinking about effortless action is Usain Bolt, the sprinter, the way that he runs. It looks like he doesn't really have a whole lot of expression on his face. He just looks like he's gliding through the air almost. And a lot of times, if you if you zoom out and look at the other people who are racing against them, you can see the amount of effort they're exerting, scrunching their face, and it looks like their whole body is efforting so hard. And Usain Bolt is just gliding through the air without really showing a whole lot. And so I think that, just to give the listener uh, an example, something that really personifies effortless action and uh, a really neat visual to, to bring that in. Is there anything else that feels alive around this before we go back into the characters of the book? Yeah, well, I do want to um, to meet your uh, challenge here, and I do have the uh, quote in front of me that I'm going to share verbatim from the Tao Te Ching, and it's actually one of the quotes leading into a chapter of this story. It states, We join spokes into a wheel, but it is the center hole that makes the wagon move. We shape clay into a pot, but it is the emptiness inside that holds whatever we want. So these are specifically very um, vague, enigmatic quotes that are meant to inspire thought and consideration um, and not for somebody to sum them up. But if I were to point to and sum up maybe one aspect of this and what it makes me think of, it's just, again, that idea of kind of counterintuitive um, thought and considering kind of the opposite or the other aspect that seems far from us you know, we fixate on, you know, something like a wheel or a pot, which is the object, you know, the, the thing that tangibly we can interact with and we can observe. But considering the, the empty space that, you know, relates to this idea of the negative or things we, we don't like or don't want or want to get rid of or fill up or use in this way, without those things, the positives or the other aspect could not exist. So it, it, really speaks to me of this idea of uh, considering the other side and the other from yourself as a necessity for your own existence, a necessity for balance and harmony and life as we know it. And it's these dichotomies and these the yin and yang of it that really makes life possible the way we experience it. It reminds me a lot of polarity work and to bring a character, to bring Josiah back into the fold here. Josiah, probably one of his top strengths is his ability to be self-reliant and to be in solitude and to be alone in his own thoughts and to kind of be able to white knuckle. And on on the flip side of that, uh, maybe one of the shadow qualities is that that blocks off connection from uh, the rest of the world. And so I think what something like the Tao Te Ching or polarity work invites us into is how can we have the context of two different, how can we hold two poles to both be true in different contexts? Like when is it a great thing to be someone who can be in solitude? And when is that not really what life is calling of me? How can I be someone who opens up about my past history, my traumas, my pains? When's the appropriate time for that? And the, yeah, the Tao Te Ching a lot of times points to the good can't exist without the bad, and good and bad are just labels that we put on things, essentially. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I would love to hear, uh, there's another character that we haven't started to talk about yet that I actually identify very strongly with now that I think about it. Her name is Cassie, 
And the part that I most identify with is that there is a certain pressure that she feels to be a certain way and to be the really good person is the way that I see it. Someone who's trying really hard to be really good in whatever way you can make that mean a million things. But in in her way, it's I want to obey the rules. I don't want to ever show my temper. Uh, and I want to be a really good student. I want to, I want to do right so that I can go to good school. But there's also a deeper, there's a fiery flare that exists within her. I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about Cassie. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been asked by people, uh, who my favorite character is. And Cassie is my answer. You know, that has a lot to do with, um, writing the character. And I, I find the experience of writing Cassie, um, maybe more like fun and enjoyable in a lot of ways than some of the others who are more challenging or more, you know, nuanced in different ways. Um, but Cassie is also someone I just feel like, um, I'm very connected to in a way, like I want to hang out with her. I want to, um, you know, um, get to know her more and more, uh, throughout the story. And, um, that's a cool experience I have in, in writing the character. And I hope that readers do as well. And from what I've heard, a lot of people feel the same way. That's a, a character who's maybe most easy to connect with. Um, and so, yeah, you mentioned, um, a couple of key aspects that, um, are going on within Cassie's life. She, um, you know, there's a, a lot of different levels to this story and a lot of different aspects, um, that connect throughout the story on these different levels. One is the idea of sins and virtues, which is literally the title of a, a class that the other, one of the other characters, Destiny, teaches. Um, there's this overt discussion of, you know, what it is to sin and what it is to be virtuous and how to be a good person and live life and what you're supposed to do. And then, um, while this isn't overtly discussed, it's really carried out and lived in the story of Cassie who focuses so much on doing what's right and doing what's expected and doing what she's taught and trained to do in different ways. And as we meet Cassie, she's struggling with the conflict that this has created for her largely internal conflict that she you know, puts on a brave face and, and doesn't show the world. And that's part of, you know, fulfilling her role as the, the good girl, so to speak, you know, or the good virtuous person. Because of that, this, this conflict, as it tends to do for people, just kind of festers and grows and, and boils over until it explodes. And with it, she has this kind of um, rupturing in her life and she kind of breaks out of this, this shell that's been created for her in many ways. And there's the, definitely a a back and forth with it where she kind of just loses control and, and opens up in these ways she doesn't mean to or expect to and tries to, to reconcile with that. But it's this inevitable kind of explosion of, of the essence of a person coming out when it's been repressed, you know, in many ways for a long time. And that is something that I connect to in different ways, you know, certain aspects of my personality and who I am, especially for instance, as a highly sensitive person, were kept under undercover and under wraps in many ways for a long time throughout my life. And you know, there, there's an, only so long and so much effort you can expend doing that until whatever you're keeping inside just comes out. You know, we don't have the power to do that endlessly. And so something's going to break in one way or another. And, um, you know, that can lead to breakdowns and breakthroughs, as I talk about sometimes, as I've experienced and as many people experience in these ways. And for Cassie, I think the way that happens is really unexpected and, and exciting and, and scary and, and all these different things in different ways. And Cassie is just, to me, such a um, pure and kind of 
honest, in-the-moment type of character to really go through that and to really explore that experience with. Yeah. I had a, I had a lot of different things coming up for me, and I'm, I'm trying to hone in on which direction I want to go. But I think one of the things that I would love to underline right now is that while I do try my best to bring humility into what I know and try and always adopt a beginner's mindset and I'm always learning and always open to being wrong, but sometimes that's not true. Something that I deeply believe to be true right now about humans is that if we don't have outlets where we are able to express our full selves and we're bottling up and segmenting parts of ourselves, they leak out in unconscious ways that sometimes are just a little kind of paper cut variety and other times are just outright outbursts and can potentially cause a lot of damage. And if we, yeah, I think the characters, especially Cassie in, in the book, really illustrates what is at risk if we don't allow our true essence to be to be known or expressed. And also, if we aren't facing head on the things that we're grappling with and, and have real outlets such as a therapist or different healing modalities that uh, help us address the pain we've been through in our life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand on my soapbox for a little bit here because I think this is an important message. It doesn't matter if other people have been through things that are, quote unquote, this is where intellect can really be challenging. If, if someone has gone through something that is, quote unquote, worse than you have gone through, I've seen so many times there's a way in which we can say, be dismissive of, of our own experience because we say, someone else has it a lot worse than me. I should just be grateful for what I have, who I am, where I am, all of that stuff. and. The body just doesn't really work that way. The, the body is, if it feels pain, it's not going, you know, someone else is having a, a tougher time out there. Someone else had a, a more abusive relationship. Someone else had a more demanding parent. And I, I think that uh, Cassie, among other characters, does a really good job of, of demonstrating what is at risk if we aren't addressing those things. Another thing that I touched on that I, Thank you. This is going to bring a smile to your face too, Kevin. Embodiment is something that is really important. And there are some characters in the book that really help us hone in on embodiment. For example, Christian, when he's really hungry, there's a, a scene that I really remember about his stomach just being super bubbly. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what Christian can teach us about being in tune with our bodies. Yeah, yeah. Definitely something that I can see why you relate to it in, in the work that you do. And something that I probably have related to a lot more recently in my life than a lot of other aspects of the story, largely because of experiences that I went through and kind of put myself through where I wasn't in tune with what my body needed and was asking for and, and begging for and you know, I came to be something I recognize a lot more as a relationship, the same way I would have a relationship with my wife or a close friend, is this relationship with myself and specifically with this, this aspect of myself, my physical body. And the way I learned to treat my body differently and more uh, in a compassionate and loving way 
because I had been so hard on myself in that, in that way for so long, fed a lot into what this story was about for specifically a few of the characters. And the last two characters we just talked about being uh, two that largely uh, speak to that. And so this character that you mentioned, Christian, is representing in a lot of ways what it is to just have this conflict or this relationship and uh, everything that goes along with uh, the interdynamics of being a physical being have it be a lot more conscious and have it be a lot more um, out there, at least for the readers, maybe sometimes even more so than it is for the character himself. You know, we're kind of hearing this almost dialogue between like his stomach, right, and his in his mind or different aspects of how he interprets the world through his physical senses and how that affects what he does and what he thinks and what he feels and how his entire life is lived. And I think a lot of this for us is often subconscious, and kind of automated in a lot of ways. And so it's something that to me is very interesting, but it was also very visceral um, after experiences I've had of, you know, experiencing physical trauma and kind of putting myself through physical trauma with the ways I went about eating and and exercising and not caring for myself or, you know, kind of providing rest and comfort and uh, space for my body to do what it needed and to get what it needed. A lot of that was inspiration for me writing the story in the first place and especially certain aspects of it that explore how we can be more in tune with our own physical needs and and in turn, you know, the physical needs or, or needs in general of others and, you know, of our planet, of other physical aspects of the life that we live and and really all this connects for me the more you kind of think about it and open up to it. And a lot of, again, with both of the last two characters we mentioned, a lot of this has to do with... Um, empathy and how we kind of cultivate that ability. Cassie, you see how her um, almost kind of forced and conditioned ability to do what others need or care for others' wants and desires has come at, at a detriment and a cost to herself and her uh, her own needs or wants. And I think that is kind of a, um, a shadow side of empathy a lot of times. You know, we think of it as one of the most celebrated traits maybe of being whether a highly sensitive person or just a person who is considered kind or caring or all these things, we see the the light that that brings to the world. And we, we often don't acknowledge, at least outwardly, or don't notice for others, especially the, the cost that that takes on the self and the individual. And so with all of these different aspects we're discussing, to me, it comes back a lot of times to just this sense of balance and this idea of, again, that yin and yang or the good and the bad, or however you want to look at it, um, these different dichotomies and that need to exist in in a balance and in some type of harmony to keep things okay and keep things stable. And no extreme, whether it's perceived as an extremely good thing or an extremely bad thing, can persist for very long without severe co- consequences. And whether it's, you know, Cassie's consequences that we, we kind of touched on, or um, Christian and how he experiences life in... Uh, physically overwhelming ways, both in exciting ways and also in really scary and detrimental ways for his existence and his survival really represents that experience uh, on a grand scale that a lot of times I think we take for granted. Hmm. Yeah. I really love the invitation and the visual of developing a relationship with your body. I I haven't quite languaged it that way before, but in a lot of ways, the past couple of years, I really have developed a relationship with my body. And in as much as I even sometimes have a dialogue with my body, ask what is what does my body need right now? And then get into a, 
at the risk of sounding really weird to everyone who's tuning in, I sometimes my mind and my body are in a dialogue with each other. And I think that's why things like yoga and the mind-body connection are becoming so much more mainstream and accepted. It's because it's really important to have a good relationship with your mind and your body. And right now, struck by the fact that body intelligence is another, you mentioned IQ and EQ, intellectual intelligence and emotional intelligence. I think body intelligence is something that we don't pay enough attention to. And maybe within the brackets of body intelligence is intuition and being able to tap into that deeper inner knowing within us and and not just relying on only the mind's capacity and faculty to figure life out. There's, There's access to more if we are intellectually curious, but also somatically curious. And I, I love the invitation that this this book really does take us on a journey through thoughts but and beliefs, but also through the wisdom of the body and all the different faculties, the wisdom of the universe, the, the wisdom of something bigger than us. It's important to have a connection to all of those things. Absolutely. I mean, I certainly feel so. And yeah, that's definitely a in large part, what this story is, is doing and is meant to do is take you on this journey in these different ways. And when you mentioned, I love that you brought up body intelligence, which is probably a lot lesser known or talked about, at least in my experience, than these other areas of IQ or even EQ, which is becoming kind of more talked about nowadays. But to me, those are certainly all um, equally relevant and significant to our, our lives and reminds me of just the um, context and description of uh, mind, body, and soul, these aspects mm-hmm. of ourself, how they interrelate and how they um, balance largely, if not wholly, manifests as our experience of life and how we how we feel and how we think and how we act and so forth. So it's certainly important, in my opinion, to uh, consider them and to develop an understanding and a relationship in those ways with, with these different aspects of ourselves. And yeah, as you describe you know, the, the idea of intuition or like the, the gut feeling that we have, right? We're specifically naming a body part that's responsible or tied to that. Are you thinking with your head or with your heart? You know, the, we're, we're talking about these body parts. And I think we just don't spend time and attention to really consider what that means and what that's telling us. What we're actually doing, you know, is just connecting with ourselves in different ways in one way being a physical uh, self. And just to, to kind of anecdotally mention... Um, Stemming off of uh, what you talked about before, you know, your head and your body kind of having different ideas and having conversations. I I literally, at this point in my life, will sometimes like have a a conversation, even like an argument with my body or with a a body part, right? That's calling for attention. Um, You know, maybe I'm trying to finish a task and all of a sudden I feel a sensation or an urge that needs to be dealt with and I'll like compromise with it or debate with it. Like, all right, give me one minute. I'm going to finish what I'm doing and then I'm going to go address this need. All right. And my body tells me if it's okay with that or if it's <laughs> compromise or not. And it might just speak up more loudly. And I, I realize sometimes like, oh, I'm losing this argument. Like I need to stop what I'm doing. I need to like get out of my head and what that's fixated on and what my attention is trying to be on and just go to pay attention to this other thing, which is more important. And to me, it's a, a funny experience uh, to talk about and even to have, especially in the beginning, but it's so important. And I feel like I've learned so much in a way that can help all of my relationships and all of my attempts to converse and empathize and, and uh, pay attention to the needs of others, whether it's my wife, 
whether it's my child who is, you know, eight months old now and largely his physical needs uh, dictate what I'm doing with my life and my time. And so to learn to be more patient, more understanding, and just more open to listen to what information I'm receiving there and not be so fixated on what I thought I was going to be doing or what I want to be doing, but what needs attention in this moment is a way to love and care for and respect and honor myself and him and her and and others. Well, what a beautiful thing, man. I I can think of many times that I've had similar arguments with my body and my my body is a much better arguer than my mind. So my my body always ends up winning in the long run. I think maybe I will share, I was going to gloss over, but I think it could be helpful to share an example. There's two that come to mind. One is I I remember at my first job, my first real like full-time out of college job. So it wasn't technically my first job, but there was a point where I was working pretty regularly 80 hour weeks. And at one point, my stomach just started to, every single time I ate something, the knot in my stomach was so tight that it was, I actually had to double over in pain at, at one point because it was just hard to sit in the chair. And I think I still don't know exactly what my body was communicating to me if I had to put words to it. But essentially what I was getting, or if I were to try and make meaning of it right now, it was saying, Stop putting me through all this. It's hard to sit at a desk for 80 hours and to be grinding like this. I, I don't want to do this anymore. And there's a way that I think a lot of us say, just let's keep marching on. Let's let's override that with our mind because our mind is such a powerful thing. And this dance of having them both work in harmony together is an ongoing one, but it is one of the most important individual journeys you can take on. And it reminds me, one of my first mentors, I'm not going to attribute the quote to him. I think it's from Ancient Wisdom. But he loves to say the most important journey that a person can make is the 18 inches from their head to their heart. And that really resonates with me because (laughs) most of us are living pretty neck up lives in, in my experience. And it's it's cutting off a whole bunch of wisdom that, that goes on from the neck down in the body. Mm. Yeah, that definitely hits on. So I, I know that we haven't touched on every character. There, there may be other things that you would like to discuss about the book. I, I would invite you, Kevin. Is there anything that, you know, maybe we didn't connect the dots on? Any other characters that you would like to speak to right now? Yeah, well, I think we've we've pretty much touched on almost every character and really every general kind of theme, maybe, that I think is important, important for an introduction to this book. There's a lot going on here, obviously. Anybody who's listened this far has, has gathered that, I think. And yeah, I think I'm very satisfied with what we've covered in terms of the, the different aspects of the book and, and the story and the characters. And I just want to invite anyone who's listening to please, you know, um, at least check it out and, and kind of just approach this story with an open, open head and an open heart to sum up what you just mentioned. I had a lot of fun writing it and a lot of also challenging times writing it, both um, intellectually and emotionally and, and even physically sometimes. But all the energy that go- has gone into this story to me was so worth it because of the experience and the characters and, and everything that it represents. And I guess the only other aspect of it that I, I really want to mention that I, I think was a lot of Again, both fun and, and challenge in great ways, though, 
was the way that each, so each chapter follows one of the different characters and it's a day in the life. So, you know, you start on Monday with, you know, Denny or whoever, and you go day by day, kind of jumping into each of the characters' lives. And as I went through and wrote each of these characters, specific chapters, each chapter is kind of written, though it's from a, a general perspective, kind of the um, omniscient perspective, as they call it, a third party view. It is written a lot in the tone of that character in particular and how they would experience life. So, you know, the you, you might start reading the first chapter and feel like you're reading kind of a children's or young adult book in the way that it's written and in the way that you uh, receive the story. It's largely about how a character like Denny would relay the story, you know, being a child. And so that was a very, uh, to me, a very cool and fun uh, way to approach it. And I think it, it can help tap into these different aspects. Um, if you're open, these different aspects of yourself that, you know, really all of these characters are, represent all different levels of ourselves um, that are on a, on a deep level common to all of us. And so you can access really anything in, in any version of yourself that you need to, to really connect with each of these characters and each of their stories. I guess the challenge and the uh, exciting opportunity for you is is when and, and will you do that, you know? So... Um, I hope people take the time to explore it a little bit and find what connects for you in there. Because I wholeheartedly believe that there is something and there may be hopefully a lot of somethings in there for anybody to take away from it, whoever you are and whatever your experience of life. Yeah, beautiful, man. Beautiful summation of uh, the conversation and of the book. And uh, just a, a couple more things I wanted to go through with you and then I'll let you on your way. Uh, as you know, I'm raising awareness for the charity or organization of each of my guests' choice. You want to raise awareness for Compassion International. I don't know if there's anything necessarily that you wanted to say about Compassion International, or if you just, I think the, the name of the organization is pretty self-explanatory, but if you could just say maybe a couple of words about why this organization matters to you, and, and hopefully other folks will join me in donating to this wonderful organization. Yeah, I love that, that you do this and, and this opportunity to raise awareness. Compassion International is an American uh, child sponsorship and humanitarian aid organization. And when I say American, it's based out of America. But as, as the title relates to, it's international in terms of its influence. And so Compassion Interna International allows you to sponsor children all over the world. Um, primarily, and that's how I'm involved, is, you know, it's kind of a simple and inexpensive way to really give back and to connect with and support someone out there who is, you know, physically and in many ways very far from myself. And I think this kind of brings home a lot of what we've been talking about is just a way to connect with and give back to the world, even uh, in seemingly different and unfamiliar places and people. I, I really enjoy the opportunity to be able to sponsor a child and uh, another country who really needs it and to have the relationship and the, the dialogue back and forth and um, feedback on the impact that it has is a really cool thing that Compassion International offers. Well, I can't think of a more meaningful cause to be supporting. So thank you for inviting it in. And uh, I know that you've already been on, so all your links to your socials and all that stuff, I, I'll be able to provide that in the show notes. But just in, in case people want to hear it on the audio, where would you invite people to connect with you? You said Amazon to buy the book, but anywhere that you would invite people to connect with you or to buy Awoken, the book. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think, yeah, primarily I'm kind of connecting through the work nowadays. So to go uh, on Amazon uh, and find the book, at least you can actually just find a sample on there that's free to check out. You go on and, and search Awoken KT Cornelio is again, uh, the name I've published it under. So it should be pretty simple to pull up from there and then just explore at your at your heart's desire. I am also on Instagram and as I'm sure you'll link to it, but uh, it's uh, KT Cornelio author is my handle. You can definitely connect with me directly through there. And I tend to share updates on there pretty consistently with any uh, book events or any, um, you know, sometimes uh, little samples of the story I'm working on or different uh, insights like that as well. So that would be the other primary place, I would say. Sounds good, man. And you, I think that you actually, while you're not the first person to be a return guest, you will be the first person who has the chance to answer this question twice because I didn't ask the last person. But I, I am curious, now that you've written a book and it's been quite some time since I initially had you on, your answer might change a little bit. What does it mean to you to live a meaningful life? Yeah, I haven't really thought back to this question since I answered it last time, but I think probably my answer would be pretty similar. Um, I think to just be really deeply, openly, and honestly yourself. I think we've each been given the life circumstances and the mind and the body and the life that we have to serve a certain purpose. I think every single one of us has a special and unique purpose to fulfill. And so I think the more openly and honestly and, and deeply you connect with yourself and share that self with others, the more you can fulfill that purpose and the more you'll really feel fulfilled in every sense. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining again on my show. I'm really proud of you, man. As a, a friend and a peer, I know I've said this to you before, but being in Parallel journeys with you has been a really rewarding and fulfilling experience. I, seeing you create your art through your book and seeing all the different ways that you're able to channel what it means to be alive. In essence, that's what I'm attempting to do with my podcast. And we're, we're both at pretty early stages in our careers. And so sometimes it could be hard to really feel like we're actually successful and that we're doing the thing. But in a way, I wanted this conversation, I, I wanted it to be a, a timestamp of sorts of, you know, we're, we're both doing the work that we love and putting it out in the world and really channeling the, our best inner artists and creativity and facing life head on. And that's the way that I experience you as a person and the way that I experienced you to addressing this book and tackling it and writing it. So I highly recommend. I had the good fortune of reading it. I hope that if you're tuned in right now, that you take the time and, and support his work. And uh, to all of the listeners, I hope that whenever you're listening, you have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. Take good care and lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.